is it bad to be like um, melting because if nobody else listens to this podcast, I will just re-listen to this episode over and over. And over. You know, that's <laughs> funny because I was thinking I want a recording of this because I want to listen to this. hear your voice. No, I was thinking I feel so like alive. I do good when I'm prompted, and you prompting this—it's uh-huh. just beautiful. Hello and welcome back to Decolonize Everything. My name is Rebecca Mendoza-Nunziato. I am your host and conversation partner, and I'm so grateful to be able to hold this space for our community to experience a type of virtual sacred circle. Today's episode is the second part of a two-part series with my guests, beautiful, wonderful mentors and friends, Maria Sierra and Denise Vaughn. Hey, so I'm Denise Vaughn. (laughs) Uh, Well, I am Maria Sierra, and just like Denise, um, I currently work with homeless families. If you missed part one, you are totally welcome to keep listening here to part two. But you might want to go back to the last episode. Today is a continuation of my conversation with Maria and Denise, where we really talked about what it means to build and tend an altar in our homes as a way of decolonizing spirituality, connecting with our ancestors and our indigeneity. And it opened up a lot for me uh, since this conversation happened (laughs) earlier this year. And so today it's the winter solstice and I'm finishing up the podcast. And I'm going to drop both this episode and a short audio piece of me describing my own altar, and a lot of that is because of this conversation that you're hearing today. So today I encourage you to join us in this conversation and consider what it means to decolonize your own spirituality, regardless of your tradition, your lineage, where you come from, where you live now, and to do that in in deeply conscious and caring ways. And as we head into 2021, perhaps this can be part of our quest for healing and for wisdom. I know for me, it continues to be a part of my journey. Okay, let's jump into the conversation with Maria and Denise. So I, it's funny, you know, I, I refer to it as my altar and I, I think I started to create my, oh gosh, it's been so many years, I don't remember. But it started out of a spiritual autobiography that we did at work. I had experienced a lot of people who've died. And so I come from a family where, you know, if it's a friend of a friend, you have to go to give your respect. I always felt like you get the little memorial card, you don't throw that away, that's disrespectful. So I incorporated that piece of it into the altar of this spiritual autobiography. And I just had like, seriously, my altar at that time was just a bookshelf from Ikea that I adorned with what identified me. Right. And most recently, well, through this pandemic, um, really needing to be more in an inclusive like my altar not just being an altar, but creating this thing that it just creates the whole my whole house or my, that whole space. So now it's still bookshelves, but it's it's I manipulated the book bookshelves so that it's like a seating area and there's different parts to it. So one part is to honor those who've who've passed. Um, 
on top of that is my two grandmothers that I recently lost. Um, but also it has um, <laughs> statues of saints that my great grandmother, she was a warrior of praying her novenas, very, very devout Catholic. Um, and so I have that and I have um, pieces still of my spiritual autobiography. So I have these picture frames because my spiritual autobiography I did visually. I have pieces of um, Mayan and Aztec, um, they're clay um, statues, figurines of, of Aztec and Mayan priests and warriors. Um, and then I also have um, sage and um, sage bundles made by my sister here. I have sage pulled from um, off the side of the road in New Mexico, I have um, Palo Santo. I have my singing bowl. She has. Uh, I have everything she on has there. Gear on her um, I even have, uh, you know, crystals and stones. And uh, my son is always like, "What in the hell is yeah. this?" Um, but I think he gets it now. <laughs> um, oh, I love it. And I don't think like any of my other family, like my daughter, I think just at this point just totally accepts it or whatever, because she has begun to create her own altar um, in, in very much the same fashion as mine. But that's what my altar is. And then, like I said, oh, and I just recently put a tree of life uh, hanging figure and a macrame moon um, and a dream catcher. So it incorporates so much. And I just go and sit in front of it and burn my Palo Santo and uh, light a couple candles and we'll do, I can't really do the ritual piece as much, but I'll do my um, indigenous meditation that I use yeah. or just sit there and burn my Palo Santo. Okay. That, that, this was so energizing. I have one question and one comment before Denise describes hers. Um, the first question I have is, do you think you would incorporate anything Irish into your altar or do you already? That is so, I love that question. So I, it's because of work really. And because I have a new grandbaby, but um, I have been thinking about that. So I did all this initial silly like research, like what are char physical characteristics of the Irish? What are, you know, some history of the Irish. And so I haven't gotten that far but I will, and I have thought about how do I incorporate that into my altar because it's who I am. And for years, I, well, still, I'm not willing to research more into the European blood that I have. So I'm latching onto the Irish blood as much as I can right now. So, yes, I will incorporate it. I love it. Um, my comment is just that I, as you both know, like part of what I want to study is how essentially the practices of pre-colonial times have survived throughout the ages and how they can help us now um, find our way and reconnect to each other in the earth. And I remember reading in Voices of Our Ancestors, um, there's a whole section on altars and like sacred space. And it, it really just helps me understand how women, particularly by being bound to the home in so many ways, in so many oppressive ways, we've been able to keep our indigenous religion and spirituality alive through altars in our houses. And I think when Denise describes hers, we'll see the, the wide variety of how that happens. So Denise, do you want to tell us about yours? 
I was listening to Maria and I know how much she loves her altar and um, and I know when she made the change to her newer altar and um, it, it started much like Maria's um, in, in a house that I had, what was that, like five years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a prayer room. Like it's really important to me in every home I've had to have some corner that reflects the sacred or the divine for me, just, just for me. Um, but pretty much I just do so many bizarre things in my home that I feel like all around it are mini altars or what have you, but I feel like ritual is fluid and I don't have as many items as Maria at this time, but right now I have some wooden hands that have a lot of, um, dried flowers in them and some mother mother salt which is um a ritual a a blessing and so the salt comes from all over the world and each each time that um women are together they add something to the salt whether it's tears or breast or flowers or a prayer and so i have that um i have my quartz crystals that um I feel like have, you know, this 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 world was created so beautifully. They have the power to dispel and kind of concentrate energy. And um, and so they're in a soapstone dish. I have some glass bottles that I did some beadwork on. My favorite um, figure is a sitting woman. And she's sitting cross-legged. And uh-huh. she's painted with these bright colors. And she's got this deep brown skin. And I have a huge affinity for her. I like to call her Medicine Mother. I don't know her name, but I know it's one of a kind, but I like love that. And so I, I position the branches so that she's kind of sitting under them. And then I have like a carved feather from some um, wood that a dear friend gave me and amethyst and various crystals. And I move three candles around because I do different prayers. Sometimes I'll pray for the past, the present, and the future. Sometimes I'll pray for my children. Their names are always on my altar. Um, just, you know, as whatever makes me feel connected to a place, a, a thing, a feeling, we just work with it. We tend it and see what it needs and yeah. what we need. Wow, Maria and Denise, thank you so much for giving us that glimpse into your sacred life, your spiritual life, especially Yeah, given the amount of time that we're all spending in our homes right now, I'm curious if you'd be willing to share your your approach to spirituality and your approach to the altar as a very material physicality of of your spirituality and your your decolonization and healing process. Um, I was raised with the importance of prayer and faith, um, not so much the um, cultural and spiritual aspect of having an altar or a sacred space specifically. Um, So I walked into doing the spiritual autobiography in a way to identify those dark corners of my soul um, where I was deeply embedded at that time. Um, And then also the things in my life that kind of gave me like that new life, that breath, right? Things to focus on. I realized that I value the liturgical piece of Catholicism. 
um, lighting of candles, um, rosaries, um, praying novenas, which is what my great grandmother did. Um, it's a place to, I like to keep my altar fluid because it's, it's evidence of my growth and my um, kind of non-linear spirituality and my um, circling back and moving forward and um, things that bring me joy, um, things that cause me pain, um, a place to just become, and it's kind of a bespoken table that I get to curate what goes on there um, and how that's connected with my day-to-day -day life. It's where I kind of explore elements of my past. It's where I kind of lay down physical elements. So if I have a concern in my heart for myself or a person, um, then that gets placed on my altar. If there is something that I want to draw my intention and attention to symbolically, then that might be represented by fire or water or one of those elements. So just kind of this fluidity to, to remind myself that I'm strong, to remind myself to dream, to remind myself to pray, and to remind myself that all of that goes on um, with or without me <laughs> um, as a benefit of um, the altar, because I kind of lay my presence there whenever I attend it. So my next question is really a prompt of practical decolonization for spirituality and it's not for a prescription, but really a question of how do we start? Um, for those of us who have had our religion, our spirituality disrupted by white supremacy, by colonization, we haven't had this practice handed down to us. It hasn't been passed on through our lineage. And so maybe we're searching for how to start, how to begin. And yeah, so I guess I would pose that question to both of you. Where where would someone start? That's funny because I think you asked me that before. I'm really I'm so weird about <laughs> directing people. I know. You know what I mean, like, but but yeah, I think um, I feel like that things come to you. They come to you for a reason, and so this is my real answer. I could. I could not possibly tell someone what to do, but I would tell someone to stay with it, to stay with the intention of building an altar, to pour love and integrity and just really focus on, on what you're trying to uh, create metaphorically or with the beauty, the thing, the item, kind of a visual assessment of the things that you, a physical assessment. So stick with it and let, let yourself tell you what belongs on your altar. I know that some people really just want an answer. Like, how do I start? Where do I even go? Um, I, I definitely was that person in a sense, but I would say in addition to what Denise said, you know, every one of us has, um, something physical, an artifact, a book, a picture, um, 
something that's meaningful to them. Um, uh, could be sometimes we put it on our car rearview mirror. Sometimes we put it in our pocket it, or in our purse or something like that. I would say start there and, and yeah, let things come to you or you be drawn to things. Everything I have, that's why there's no sense. Like Denise said, there's no linear thing. It's just whatever feeds my soul and is meaningful and whatever I want to honor, um, which is how I've incorporated my spiritual autobiography because those pieces are having on my altar are to honor those um, that have given me um, the seeds of my faith walk. So. Well, I am so inspired and just really grateful for each of you sharing this intimate part of your of your lives. Um, and I love that it's part of your shared lives that you've learned this together and continue to learn together. And I love that you have shared it with me in a way that it gets to be a part of my life as well. Okay, I have one more question. So at the end of every episode, I love to ask my conversation partners if there's something you've been reading or listening to someone you're following online that you would point to as a place of practical tips or radical ideas for decolonization? Like I told you, I'm like dabbling in so many different things. And, and I realize that this is um, like, how do I say that? Newly in some cases on the forefront of people's minds. And so like, you know, uh, I had a friend who was like, Oh, I can't find my grandmother's hands. And I'm like, yeah, cause everybody wants it now. Mm-hmm. Like I was fortunate and stumbled upon it two and a half years mm-hmm. ago in New Mexico. So like, that's a blessing. It was given to me in that way. So I kind of want to look at things that maybe people aren't talking about necessarily. And I found this book by Ruha Benjamin and it's called, I believe it's called Beyond, no, Race After Technology, Abolitionist Tools for the Gym Code. It's about right. how, um, you know, we're talking about dismantling all of this oppression and the police and all of these things. And we would spend another 12 hours talking about, but she's specifically looking at how white supremacy shows up in the DNA of technology because of algorithms and so forth that are, that are centered on that, whether it's an app or what have you that literally cause racism to extend into artificial intelligence that's great. So I'm like, yeah, because we're not just battling this on a like flesh and blood. It's like in the system. It is the same. So that, so sorry. I'm like yelling now. It's in the operating system and please keep yelling. It's, it's nice. (laughs) Yelling. I was going to say yelling is not violence. That's excitement. All right, Maria, what you got? So obviously one of them, um, is Resna Menachem. Mm -hmm. Um, getting exposed to the embodiment work that he does um, through the pandemic, just the embodiment piece is huge for me. So mm-hmm. that is why I just have latched on to Resma so much because I'm learning so much about myself. So definitely um, paying attention to that and, and engaging in some embodiment work. But one person that I have followed, um, he published a book in 2019 called Recovering Your Sacredness is uh, Jerry Teo, and he's out of Los Angeles. Um, he has done work on um, healing, 
specifically with men and young boys um and like domestic violence fatherhood i met him about 20 years ago when my ex-husband and i did some fatherhood work at that time there was a big movement towards engaging fathers um and and so i've just followed jerry all these years in the work he's been doing i um he runs an organization called the National Compadres Network, and I'm just fascinated by his work and what he does. And it's his meditations that mm. I do because um, he's doing and has been doing the work for decades, especially for gente. And so to me, that's just huge. And actually, one of the guys, Francisco Gallardo, who did a lot of our gang prevention here in Colorado for the last 20 years, he now moved to LA and works for the National Compadres Network, which I was so excited to hear about last year. Yeah. Like, I hate that Denver lost that, but he's going to do amazing work. Um, and so, yeah, those those are two people that I kind of just am constantly watching and looking at the stuff that they're putting out and and accessing it as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Wow. Oh, this has been such a gift, and I've kept you for over an hour um loved every moment of it i keep telling myself don't say anything else just be quiet i know <laughs> you know us we could talk and talk and talk yeah it's is, i mean is there something else like i i want to hear whatever thoughts are still arising but um so i guess i just yeah it's the close is a kudos to you and to all, no seriously and to all just like this really has been a gift um, I think often that's what we need. It's like a pure example of like what it means to um, to decolonize. Is like somehow there's there's certain ways that we can inherently create space. Like I feel alive because I'm talking about things that I care about, but also with people that I care about that I know can like put them in a work in the world in a, in a certain and particular way. And, um, yeah. And it was just a really good time to reflect. And even though we're, we're close, like to hear ourselves say it, that's been profoundly helpful as we move through the journey of decolonizing ourselves, recovering ourselves, energizing ourselves and knowing that's not a dirty practice. You know how Resma talks about clean pain, mm -hmm. um, like clean, up the pain and just expressing it in all its beauty this has been wonderful I guess that's all it <laughs> yes it has and like you know because because we want to keep moving in this direction because I don't really I don't feel like I feel like it's very very um, intertwined with how we're going to continue to live out our days mm, thank you thank you for saying that and this is collective work. This is collective healing. And yeah, I think about our conversation about social work and about these healing practices and spiritual practices. And this podcast for me is is part of carrying that work um, because it is so important to me to hear your voices and to share your wisdom um, because I, yeah, I, I truly believe that it matters that we listen to one another, that we share our stories of pain and suffering and beauty and creativity. And you've done that today. So a huge, huge thank you from me. I love you guys. 
That's what decolonizing everything is ultimately about, is the healing journey. Um, and that it begins deep, deep down in our bones and our soul. And it's a process of, of becoming free. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, I'm Rebecca Mendoza Nunziato. And don't forget, right after this episode, you can check out a bonus piece that I'm sharing about my own altar and some of the thoughts that I have about building and creating it especially after learning from Maria and Denise. Sending you all my gratitude for your support over these last five episodes. Let's continue to heal and decolonize everything together.